Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Now for the Kurtz Polaris studio, here is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanes. Welcome back to Tell Nuanes, 102.9 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television across the great state. Happy to be with all of you. Thanks for letting us spend some time with you on this very fine Tuesday afternoon. Back on the air after a day off yesterday to get some particulars ironed out which have now been done and we're happy about that again shout out to tommy and reese making it happen for us uh all across missoula broadcasting but particularly on this station uh, as we uh enjoy the friendly confines of our new studios our old studios used to have one window how many we got count them up five in here now glassy that's what i like to say (laughs) you still think jay-z sucks bro <laughs> see this is this is why people hate the media you know because you come out here three weeks after the fact and say something that i did not say and you just drop it i think, in out I of think you said something like his flow is very mundane what i said is i know some people who don't like jay-z and mm. this is what they said mm, okay okay i'm making you a jay-z playlist i own two of jay's uh records nice which ones black album that's a good one and kingdom Come. Mm, not, a, not a good one. It's okay. Yeah, it's kind of. So Jay Z's. Here's the thing: when you make seven albums in seven years, then it's really hard to make really good ones after that. And Kingdom Come, American Gangster, they're okay. In a moment in time, they're good. They had good singles and stuff. But that run from Reasonable Doubt through the Black Album is one of, if not the greatest runs in hip hop history. Black Album's tough to beat. I must say, I do. I do like it. It's to tell Nuanas. Uh, if you'd like to listen live on the stream, you can, 1029ESPN.com. You go listen there all the time. Thanks to Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. And if you want to listen on the podcast, go for it. To tell Nuanas podcast available wherever you get your podcast. Listen at your leisure on your time. Download, rate, review, subscribe. We appreciate that. The podcast available thanks to Blackfoot. Also available... Just as of today, via Alpine Touch, our good buddies at Alpine Touch showing some love as well. That's right. Okay. 
Man. I'll tell you one thing that has made quarantine livable. Oh, buddy. <laughs> I left my Alpine Touch at your house, actually. Yeah. And, 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 and I didn't even text you because I knew there. you were going to pull the, oh. no, no, I think that one's mine. No, no, it is mine. And you know how I know? Because it's in my tummy. That's how I know <laughs> that it's mine. He ate the uh, whole thing. Coulter, I Before wanted, we get into this baseball thing, yeah, I just yeah. I wanted to give one uh, follow-up impression on, okay. uh, on the Tim Walsh interview. Tim Walsh. Extending our Big Sky Conference coaches series, we still are efforting Troy Taylor of Sacramento State, Ed McCaffrey of Northern Colorado, the only two contemporary coaches. But we will continue to interview coaches from around the Big Sky Conference, uh, particularly ones that maybe have, have just made it uh, made it out to the other side, as they would say. You know, Tim Walsh was in the Big Sky for more than 20 years between Jerome Portland Sowers, State and Sowers, Cal Poly. Yeah, yeah we have Jerome Sowers on, Mike Kramer on, so we'll continue to, to give you those interviews. But Coach Walsh is... First of all, he's an incredibly straight shooter, but he's also an articulate guy. And oftentimes those things don't go hand in hand. But I've always really enjoyed him, and he's taught me so much about the big sky because uh, he's an OBS type of guy. Um, but I think that what he was saying, you know, I, it actually even dawned on me when I was in the midst of asking him that question that he really is the only guy in the history of the league to lead two different f- programs that used to be in lesser quote-unquote lesser leagues leagues with less funding into the big sky so i think he does have a unique perspective he talked about the time in the late 90s when he brought portland state to montana and if you missed that you can check it out on the podcast because his whole uh monologue on playing in the state of montana was great it was tremendous but he talked about you know coming here with only 16 scholarships sometimes it's not an even playing field in mm. college sports and it was always my thought that when, especially when Coach Walsh was at Portland State, he had Portland State finished, I think, second in the Big Sky five times, and that was when the Big Sky was basically a one bid league into a sixteen team playoff, and that one bid was Montana, and the, the teams that changed that were Eastern Washington and Montana State because they could beat Montana yeah. and then buy home games, but Portland State never made it. They made the playoffs one time, even though they were second in the Big Sky five times. But when you talk about the resources you have and the expectations of the program and where you came from and where you are at, that's, what, in my mind, exceeding expectations. Then you talk about Cal Poly. He took a lot of heat for running what a lot of people think is an antiquated offense at Cal Poly, but he truly felt it was the way to go, not only because he had inherited the program when Rich Ellerson had already been running the triple option. He had just got done working for Rich Ellerson at Army, where they run the triple option as well, but he also thought it was just his best ability to recruit guys, especially offensive and defensive linemen, uh, to win there but regardless making the playoffs three times at Cal Poly that's also exceptional because of the academic standards the SAT stuff and it kind of got away from them because they just they forgot how to win they lost so many close games the last couple of years and, and you know every coach will tell you we're only a couple plays away but I can't think of another team that was literally less than 10 plays away during a one in 10 season they did that two years <laughs> ago and they were they were seriously lost you know in overtime or by two or three I just think that uh, it's interesting getting Tim Walsh's perspective because he comes from a different place than a lot of these other guys that inherit programs with these inherited advantages. We always talk about maximizing your advantages. To be certain, coaching in San Luis Obispo is an advantage. Coaching in a great metropolitan area like Portland is an advantage. But other than that, a lot of disadvantages. He deserves a lot of credit for the impact he had on the big sky at a a couple places that uh, maybe aren't the uh, the blue bloods of the league no doubt well it was a great interview we appreciate him and if you missed that interview again check it out on the on the two tail nuanas podcast uh, and you can uh, listen to our conversation with coach walsh from the first hour tomorrow again just to to remind everybody top of the hour espn roundtable with jeff choke
head coach of the Montana State football team. So looking forward to talking uh, with him or to airing that for you. We got to talk with him today, so it was uh, enjoyable. Coulter, we, we have talked not a lot of baseball. We don't talk a ton of baseball on the show. We'll have guests from time to time and do that kind of thing. And I want to I want to go over this new stuff that you got here because I do yep. think it's very really interesting. Yeah. But I also want to talk about why we don't because I've really been thinking about this. I've been reorganizing all my baseball cards. Well, I know why. There's too dang many games. Too many. Well, <laughs> but I think there's a lot of other reasons as well that I think it doesn't cater to talk radio, and I think well, it's impacted. But I think it's impacted the national prominence of yeah. it because of some certain things. So we'll get into that okay. as well. Well, uh, this certainly does cater to uh, what we do, and I think is really good. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna just push this very hard because I thought, you know, Jeff Jeff Passan, uh, if you know who he is, MLB insider for ESPN, and sort of recently so. I mean, he's only been about a year, a season or two, uh, covering Major League Baseball for for ESPN. The first time I saw him, I was like, "Whoa, okay, is it this is where did we find this guy?" But he is. He is really good, and he, as often comes from insiders, comes from a writing background. And the article that he's up right now on ESPN.com, which I tweeted out as well, uh, if you'd like to read it, is phenomenal if you are trying to understand the state of affairs and what is at stake. Not not just at stake financially, but what is what are the tensions that are at work that are determining where baseball is in this particular setting trying to get started, trying to have some semblance of a season and all the things that are, uh, 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 you know, in play here. So let's start here. Six weeks ago, the uh, a baseball players union, which is, I believe, I think people agree this is the strongest union, sports union in, in professional sports in America. And the uh, commissioner's office slash ownership met and came to an agreement uh, and basically it was that they would they would do an 82 game season that is one game over fit half 162 games so would it be 81 be half 82 so and then the the pay cut as a result would be prorated exactly along those lines players would receive 50.6 percent of their salary um for the games that they would play. So essentially the game checks will all remain the same, but there's going to be less games. Now the other side of this, so so that has been agreed to, and they're, 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 this is all good, okay? But now they're coming to the table today, and the, today, this afternoon, has been the first ongoing meeting slash conversation between the two sides about how to reopen the season. And they uh, Major League Baseball offered a return-to-play proposal they did not meet in person. They offered this, well, they talk about through the media, but this is circulated out there. And it includes the following bu- bullet points, okay? A 50-50 split of revenue for this forthcoming season. The 82-game schedule, as uh, already mentioned, mid-June spring training, early July opening day. How about this? A 14-team postseason rather than the typical 10. We'll get into why that would be the case. So what are the series would be like if it's 14-team postseason? I, I don't know exactly. So you'd have to shorten the series theoretically, right? Because you're not just going to play a bunch of seven-game series. I think maybe you have more wild cards. I think cards. they'd be happy to have. You know, I think there would be maybe like a full wild card round. Well, I in guess there. yeah, because you don't have to worry about the burnout. I guess you could just play a bunch of seven game series because you're playing totally. half the game. So the point, yeah, that's interesting. The, the point of the the expanded postseason is to maintain the national dollars from television, and so sure. it increases. You know, 
in any postseason, you can have a, a wide variety of the number of postseason games played, right? If you go, if it's a bunch of sweeps, it's like 27 games or something like that. If they all go the distance, it's like 40-some. Well, this increases the floor, the lowest number of games you could have to like mid-30s, and the most would be over 50. Wow. And so what that will do in terms of the national dollars, because, you know, it's it's an it, the games become increasingly more valuable as you go through the season and then, of course, the postseason, the most so. And so this is basically a way to deal with that. Uh, here's, here is where all of this, though, comes to, I don't know if a screeching halt is the word, but an impasse, okay? The 50-50 split of revenue sounds sort of reasonable on a season where you don't know what the revenues are going to be. It certainly mirrors what a lot of other leagues have. But what Major League Baseball has never had and the players and players unions are adamant will never have is a salary cap. And even though this isn't a, quote, salary cap, it is capped because it's about the revenue that is earned. Okay? And on one hand, it makes sense when you talk about who knows what the revenue is actually going to be? Even if you have a schedule that's set and everything like this, what happens if in September there's another you know explosion of COVID-19 and all of a sudden everything right. has to come to a halt again? What does that mean? How does that work? And so on. But I think there's two parts of this that are very interesting to consider on the part of the players. The first is this is considered, if you did this, to be something akin to or near a salary cap for this season. And if you've done it once, then there's leverage that's created there going forward, presumably, even though this is an anomalous situation. But the other thing is this, and I'm just going to read this to you right from the other uh, from the article. Salaries do not grow commensurate with revenue gains. So now in a year in which the game is struggling, it's necessary is it's necessary for the players to share the losses question mark that's not how it works end quote and that's speaking on behalf of the players union here's the deal once you've created what the salaries are baseball the owners can go as make as much money as they possibly want and the players though they're getting paid a ton of money especially in baseball i mean 400 million dollar yep, yep, contract yep. That's what you're going to earn now. And if all of a sudden a new TV deal gets done, you're not getting that like you are in the NBA. Right. And so this is and, – and the point of that is you can earn more in relation to the revenue because the, the earnings are guaranteed, right? That's the point of baseball is you get these guaranteed contracts. But the downside of it is if, the, if baseball goes and turns over – a $2 billion television contract, at least until you renew your next contract, that is all theirs to keep over and above. So what's the argument on the part of the players this year? Well, if they make more money, we don't get paid more. So if now they lose money, we're supposed to not get paid more? That's that's a, 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 an unjust asymmetry that we are unwilling to accept. And at that point, I kind of like I I agree with the players. Like if you agree to a deal for this season, excuse me, and all of a sudden it goes bad, or you don't make the money that you thought you were going to make, and and you know what the TV contracts aren't there, whatever it is, that's on you. That's the risk you took to put this contract in place. This is what you owe us is this amount right here. And they've already agreed to the reduced salaries because of the reduced number of games, which makes sense for everybody. The If you go and read this article, it goes through in in some good detail the total amount of money, which is estimated to be about $10.7 billion that Major League Baseball as a whole did in revenue last season. 
is going to be easily halved, if not a little bit more than halved, out of out of what they have here. And that's obviously including playing games without patrons in the stands, without fans there. So the the cutting it down in terms of what everybody's gonna make makes sense and, and everybody's taking a financial hit here. Yet the the way the contract is structured is the argument of the players union where they say what you're trying to do is smuggle in a change you've always wanted right. amidst this scenario. Yeah, and, and that's that's where this is gonna get derailed and the last thing that baseball could afford, because right now baseball has a real opportunity to make a comeback on the national stage. We have talked, and we're going to continue to talk about how baseball in regional markets is as popular as it's ever been, but on the national stage is nowhere close to the NFL or the right. NBA. And and baseball has a chance to re-enter the, the national consciousness. As the only show. As the only show in town. But the last thing... The, Baseball just just straight chopped both its feet off in the span of less than 10 years. With the first work stoppage in 1994, baseball yep. was rolling, and they have a strike, no season. bunch of people got bitter. And, 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 and more than simply not being there, a PR disaster with the, as they talked about, billionaires arguing with millionaires over tens of billions of dollars, and you couldn't figure it out. You know what? Thanks, but no thanks, says the blue-collar, you know, workers of America. Exactly. And then now it comes back, and, and then the steroid era and every all the controversy that went along with that. And baseball has honestly never been able to really gain traction again. So they have this magic moment where they could do it. And if they – exactly what you just said. If it's billionaires arguing with millionaires over money and it's robbing the people of America who are starved for sports – I just think if you're Major League Baseball, you do whatever you can to be the first league playing because all of a sudden you're going to get, I mean, you're talking to the guy's biggest baseball fan on on planet Earth until everything that I just said happened. Yeah. And I went away from it, and I still watch baseball every once in a while. You know, Sunday night baseball's on. I watch it. You, you're watching the Cubs. We watch it. I watch sure. the playoffs. But I'm not like, I mean, I got the NBA on in the background every single night when the NBA's on, even if I'm not truly pay attention to the game it's on i know what's going on i know who's winning i know all the stats all the everything i would be all in on baseball again if they could get this thing figured out so that i just think they cannot risk not getting it figured out if it's just all comes down to if the owners are trying to screw the players out of revenue sharing and the players are realizing this and digging their heels in they got to just come to a middle ground renegotiate that for later Put this. Put the baseball players on the TV now. And I think that that is something that is, you know, first of all, there, this we, this article and what we're talking about here is a financial part of it. And don't get it twisted; that is a major part of 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 this. But also, there are a thousand other issues to work out. Who's playing where? You know, if you can't play baseball in New York, what are the Yankees and Mets doing? Okay, and how is that going to work in the neutral sites? And they've already talked about separating it where like the NL West is only going to play against the NL West or the AL West. Right. So they're keeping everything completely regional, even crossing, you know, league boundaries to do so. And and, you know, all that. So all those considerations and how those work and how, you know, the 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 logistics of of travel and of testing and of all these other things are are major 
issues to resolve as well. And yet, it seems like at some level, there would be a spirit of cooperation because both parties would want the same thing, and that is to to have baseball, to play. And then when you get to the financials on it, both these parties, you know, appear to be digging their heels in. But the question is, who is willing to take that PR bath? And what would the great irony and perhaps undoing of baseball be if baseball didn't happen this season, not because of a global pandemic, (laughs) but because of a inability to come to an agreement on the financials of they this create thing. a work stoppage in a time when everybody's been forced to stop working that's right it would be a nightmare it would be a complete nightmare and you know that this would be the legacy of rob manfred and if they did Period. if they did that and then also cut minor league baseball cut teams for minor league baseball i mean see you later man yeah I like mean, if you make it so that i can't go to osprey games and you're sitting here on strike when you could be playing for the sole sake of entertaining the American public, get out of here. It's not insignificant. I mean, if you're talking about losing $5 billion, which is already a guarantee, and potentially more than that, that's uh, that's a lot. And there's a lot of people who are hurt by that. And yet also, the numbers are so astoundingly large that the average fan is just unwilling to, you know, and, and nor should they, in my opinion, sit here and make considerations for this, you know? I don't know what to tell you. You're only going to get paid 82 times this year at $10,000 a pop? Sorry, you know? Right. Good luck. I don't know how you're going to make it, you know? I haven't had a job in three months. I haven't had, to, I haven't had the ability to make a tip serving a table. Right. And so, you know, they are in... It already looked bad when everybody, quote unquote, everybody was working already. Totally. You know, when they, when people are not working, not because they don't want to, not because they're not able, but because they actually can't do it. This 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 will go very badly for baseball. And you know what? Maybe that's the biggest silver lining in this whole thing because with that backdrop, I don't know how you don't figure it out. Like I don't know how you don't figure it out at some point because that, regardless of the whys and the justifications that both parties might have, that will be the upshot to the American public who, at the end of the day, is footing the bill for all of it. We're up against it, but I want to keep talking baseball. So let's take a break. And on the other side, I have had some revelations as to why baseball is just less aesthetically pleasing to watch on TV. At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping customers and communities connected online. In fact, we executed our own business continuity plan, quickly mobilizing to keep our communities online with the service and experience they need. You need to stay connected, too, and we can help. From home internet to remote workforce deployments, contact Blackfoot to learn how we can help you stay connected today and in the future. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more. But I don't have an answer. 
Welcome back to Tell Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio. Coulter wanted to keep talking baseball, so we could do that. If you want to call, you're welcome. 361-3688, the phone number. 361-3688. All guests join us via the Rankage Brothers RV phone line. And want to let you know, uh, too, we're very happy about this, but uh, uh, circumstances being what they are, things are going out there. We are still, this year, once again, going to put together a stay-and-play package for you and uh, send two of you, or one of you with a guest is, I guess, the way I should say it, uh, which might be two of you. I don't know. You know, I don't know how you're listening. Listen parties? We doing that now? Uh, to uh, the Coeur d'Alene Country Club and uh, Resort over there in uh, uh, the panhandle of Idaho. Uh, beautiful spot, obviously, right there on Lake Coeur d'Alene. Many of you have been there, uh, but the resort, uh, as good as it gets, the golf course, uh, one of, if not the premier public course in uh, in the Northwest. I mean, it's a spectacular setting, resort, all of that. So I uh, want to uh, let you know that that is forthcoming. We're excited about that. We will give you details on how to enter, what the uh, rules are going to be, what we're expecting from you, and uh, we're going to have some fun. So uh, there you go, uh, just to, uh, you know, sort of plant the seed a little bit on the uh, stay and play giveaway here this spring with us from us to you to go swing the clubs get outside a little bit it'll feel so much i don't know i don't know if better is the word but just like you know maybe just that much more enjoyable to go uh for an overnight somewhere uh and uh and play a, a beautiful course a great time to do it and we appreciate certainly them for uh, participating with us in this gold we talked about baseball in the last segment when and why they're going to come back if they'll come back at all, and what some of the particularly financial hurdles are in terms of negotiation of why that is. But you wanted to talk about, I think, baseball even with a wider lens than that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been overly simplified. I mean, I just made a statement that the two things that pushed me away from being a hardcore baseball fan were uh, the strike, the the work stoppage in 1994-95, and then the fallout from the steroid era. Yeah. And I still think those were influential, but... During the the quarantine, uh, I have reconnected with my baseball card collection, which is um, substantial would be an understatement, certainly. My entire basement of my mother's home right now is tables full of cards that I'm reorganizing and looking through, parsing through, and selling. And uh, I have a table. I'm making an album of... We don't need to go into the details of, of the trade, of the trading card industry, but... I have this table full of all the guys that are that I consider reputable and or you know, Hall of Fame caliber players from the last. This this card collection goes back to like the late '80s, so basically the last 30, 30 to thirty five years. Yeah, and there's more than a hundred guys on this table, and all of them who I was big fans of, or you know, or that I didn't like because of the villain that they were. But either way, someone that was memorable, somebody I would like to tell you know, your kids and my brother's kids and, you know, if I have kids someday, about. And I was thinking about what used to make baseball so great was how many original characters there were, how many original styles of playing there were. Mm. And now I think the number one reason why it's not as appealing to the common sports fan is the homogenization of it all. We've reached this epic point in technology. I think technology has influenced all the sports, no question, when it comes to scouting reports and you know logistics and the way that you develop guys and the analytics behind all of it. 
But I think baseball has taken it to the absolute extreme because baseball is geometry and statistics combined. That's what the game is. So you can use mathematical formulas to determine success, but it seems as if that's what's happening exclusively. I was thinking about a guy like Rod Carew, for example. Rod Carew holds the bat all funny. He's got a terrible swing, (laughs) but he has 3,200 hits. He's one of the greatest hitters of all time, and all he's doing is slapping it all around the yard. But Ichiro Suzuki is like the last of a dying breed, right? Now almost everybody's swing looks exactly the same, and almost everybody's trying to play the exact same type of game. It's the Alex Bregman quote from last year. Bro, if I wanted to hit 340, I hit 340. That's not what baseball is about. But what baseball is about, by and large, and there is some delineation here. Some teams prioritize, you know, athleticism and speed, while other teams maybe prioritize power, power, and on base percentage. But it's still, and I'm not saying that the, the baseball is wrong for this because it is the way to have the most efficient and successful organization. But it takes away from the visual appeal of the game. Now, if a pitcher gets into any sort of trouble, and you're Alex Bregman coming up to the plate, and you're already you already hit a double in your first at bat. Well, now they're just going to pull one of their 17 guys out of the bullpen who, based on the computer-generated analytics, is the hardest for you to hit. So now you're not going to have a chance to have another double. Likely, you're either going to strike out or walk, and it just becomes boring. It also takes away the opportunity for the pitcher to overcome the hurdle that is you on a bad night. Exactly. And so I was just thinking about all of these guys that I just don't know what if they would have even gotten a shot and how much that would have robbed so many players and the evolution of a player too. Now it seems as like you come up as a power hitting third baseman. That's the role you have to play for your whole career. Mm-hmm. But think about Craig Biggio, for example, the guy goes from, you know, gold glove catcher who's like a seven hitter to one of the great two hitters in the history of baseball who learns how to play second base. Your guy, like Jim Tomei comes up as a pretty solid defensive style Middle of the middle to bottom of the lineup, third baseman, and becomes one of the greatest power hitting first baseman of all time mm-hmm. because because of the way that his personal game evolved. And I just think that we're getting robbed of so many things. But I also think the other thing I was really thinking about too is the fact that it's become homogenized, and so many people have bought into similar um, strategies. But also because the acceptance of the strikeout is crazy. Sean Rainey was tweeting last night about Tony Gwynn, and he was saying. Tony Gwynn's his favorite athlete of all time. As we know, Sean's from San Diego. He's a huge Padres fan. But he was saying, Tony Gwynn's my favorite player of all time. But if he was to play today, he would be even more my favorite player. Because how refreshing (laughs) would it be to watch a guy who puts the ball in play every time? Just that, you know, you have a one-two count and you're doing it for your team. Just hit a ground ball on the second baseman, move the guy over. You don't have to hit a two-run home run. And if you don't hit the two-run home run, it's unacceptable to strike out. That's become so acceptable. And I think it's made... The visual appeal of it all. I mean, now so many baseball games are just, it's just the way that it is. You have one to two rallies because the managers are so good. The analytics are so good. But you're, you hardly have any rallies. You right. never see nine doubles in a row where guys are just running it the was, bases. It was never the case before where you felt like a home run stalled the momentum of the team at right. bat. But now a guy gets up there, hits a home run, and you're like, "Well, now the bases are empty. Now what's going to happen? Nothing." Like it's it, the, the having bases, you know, runners on, is such. It just does not happen as much in the same, especially from a rally standpoint. Totally, like guys get on base right. probably as well as they ever have, and there are certain guys who's their you know yep. their OBP is just through the roof. Sure, and that's great. But in terms of we're going to go walk, single, double, single, walk out, 
walk, single for three runs in an inning. Like, no, it, it ain't going to happen, basically. Yeah, because now the manager just makes a call to the bullpen and brings in the next dude who throws right. 97 with an off-the-table slider. Here's, here's where I'm at on all this, and I think it's a good conversation, Coulter. Two uh, telling the one, it's 1029 ESPN Radio. But I have some very distinct memories of baseball in my childhood uh, that are all, all postseason stuff. You know, I remember Oral Hershiser and Kirk Gibson for the Dodgers, uh, uh, John Olerud and Joe Carter for the Blue Jays, uh, some of the Twins teams, Kirby Puckett. I loved Kirby Puckett back in the day and, and, and that. But I didn't love baseball. Like, I wasn't a baseball kid. I was a basketball. You didn't play baseball, I, right? I played in my – I mean, I played minor league, little league baseball. But, like, you didn't, but, you didn't play as a teenager, though? No. Right. Yeah, I, yeah, I was done. Well, that's, like, kind of the breaking point, right? Yeah. You either make the the U twelve All Star team or you quit, and if you do, and then you move on playing in a teenager, that's where it just yeah. And, well, and especially in Montana, where playing a sport like if you want to play hockey or baseball, you're not playing it through the school, and what that means in terms of the you know the considerations you got to make logistically or financially or just time and so forth. And I, I don't know, I just didn't have the I, I enjoyed playing baseball I, I, as I recall. Um, I was a much better baseball player than basketball player. No shock there. Um, but you have good hand-eye coordination, so it seems as if baseball would be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, would, I was not a good baseball player. I was, you know, I was fine. I was average, but I played basketball. I did not play. So anyway, point being, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed baseball, but I didn't have the – like there's – we know that people who – who fall in love with the game like they there's something that happens where it gets its hooks in you and you are just the the numbers of it you know the the geometry of it the the between pitch you know uh, uh strategy strategizing that happens is something that is sort of unique i mean that's that's one area that i think football and baseball are, are relatively the same. I mean, this is such an uh, an ironic thing to me, where people criticize baseball all the time about, oh, it's so slow. Oh, it's you know, w- w- there's hardly any action or whatever. There is almost no difference to me in the space between two snaps in a football game and the space between two pitches in a baseball game. Right, but the replay of a baseball pitch is not nearly as thrilling as the replay of watching a guy get his head taken off well, over the middle you like know, in football. Of, of course, but you know what? That doesn't happen all that much. I mean, there's plenty no. of two-yard runs that happen in a football game sure. that aren't that much to look at. And right. the beauty of football is to go, okay, well, now it's second and eight. What's he going to do? Okay, well, now it's two and one. What's he going to do? And the difference is people feel like, I think, they know football better or have have a better handle. It's it's an easier game maybe to comprehend in in a broad strategy way where you feel like you could say, well, play action pass, you moron. That's what you should do right here. Whereas you don't go, oh, well, 3-2 splitter because this guy, you know, hates having the ball away and low or something like that. You don't know that about who's at the it's, who's, it's, who's, football's, who's football's much harder to understand except for through the lens of a quarterback. I think that's where football takes the next step. And I was thinking about this part hmm. portion too. NBA teams, sure, they run a bunch of plays. Right now we're watching the last dance. You see the triangle offense in its finest fashion. But also, the majority of an NBA game, more than college particularly, and more than high school particularly, is creativity, improvisation. There's 40-plus possessions in an NBA game 
especially with the superstar guys, where James Harden just grabs the rebound and comes down and just makes it happen. Yeah. Or LeBron James just comes down and he finds himself in an extended fast break. He's got a mismatch. High pick and roll. Let's do it. Like, there's not a play. It's not set it up. Of course. Yeah. It's all it's improvisation. So the yeah. artistry of the game is the highest of the pro sports. No doubt. Strategy in football is the number one of the three pro sports, except for there's going to be a dozen to 15 times in a game where everything breaks down, and then it comes down to the improvisation Can of one guy. And right. that's why guys like Aaron Rodgers are so unbelievable to watch because some of the greatest things he does, and Ben Roethlisberger, when he was at his best, was one of the best guys ever at this mm-hmm. too. Some of the things they do are completely and utterly unplanned. That's the part I think that has really gotten lost in baseball is there's hardly any... A pitcher's not just going to throw you... Think, harken back to maybe 20, 25 years ago. Nolan Ryan does not care if Ryan Tutel hits the outside corner fastball. He's going to say, go guess what, buddy? Yeah. I'm going to throw three of them right by you. And yeah. if you get me, tip my hat, right. bring it on again. Right Now, it's like a corporate mandate where you, you're not allowed <laughs> to throw the pitch. Right. Your manager will tell you, if you throw the pitch that the analytics say you cannot throw to Albert Pujols and he hits it yard, you're not playing for two weeks. Yeah. You know, the analytics said walk him. We don't care if you walk him, walk him. And I think the challenge of it, the improvisational part of it, is the thing that's gotten lost. The other part of it, if you want to do the metaphor between like a quarterback and a pitcher, is if a guy throws a hanging breaking ball and everybody who knows baseball goes, oh, he made a mistake. This is why he got taken yard. And then they replay the thing, and you go, okay, well, I see that the ball is in the roughly middle of the strike zone as it crosses the thing. But you know what? A hanging breaking ball and a great breaking ball don't look all that different to me. They look like they're dropping a mile, and I don't know how the guy does it, and it's remarkable to me the placement, and yet one of these is a grotesque error where he's lost the game, and the other one is an unbelievable pitch, whereas a quarterback, I can see, well, yeah, it went into the third row. Probably he flew it on him. Not a great throw there, okay? Whereas, you know, then you see him in the smaller windows. I guess it's just more obvious in that respect. All that to say this, Coulter, I've never been a bigger baseball fan than I am right now. Interesting. I... I would not consider myself certainly a baseball guy as such in terms of the sure. the the all of the thing. I'm not playing fantasy baseball in it every single day, knowing every single thing mm-hmm, that's going mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. But I am enjoying the pace and the the nuance, if I can get you know that that deep into it, of the sport of baseball as a uh, as. A knowledgeable and interested fan, not as an adamant and passionate fan, but uh, more than I probably ever have. And I sat down today, and maybe this is because we haven't watched, you know, anything uh, sports live, sports wise. But I, the KBL was on today, right? The Korea yep, Baseball yep. League, and Carl Ravish and Edward Perez doing a great job, and they're talking about Major League Baseball while this game is going on. But to sit there and watch. A baseball game, a professional baseball mm-hmm. game being played, watched a guy hit a home run. You talk about style. It is interesting. I do think there's a real distinction between the types of baseball that's played in like East Asia, in Japan, and Korea, and so forth, and what you get, broadly speaking, in the United States. Also in in Latin America, in the Caribbean, and so forth. I think there's there's different ways to play baseball, and it looks different. The aesthetic is different. I thought that was really fun to see. But... I just sat there. I I don't know any single player here. I got no idea who these two teams. I don't know the structure of the league. I don't know what a championship looks like. I don't know where we are in the season. I don't know anything. I just know that I'm watching baseball on television. Guys who are clearly good, really good baseball players playing. And 
you know, for 10 minutes this afternoon, I had a wonderful time with it. And if baseball makes it back, they're going to do themselves a huge favor in that respect because it ain't just about the 82 games this year and how are we going to do it's about It's about us. It's about the fans and whether or not we're going to be there and if if the sport, if the game can get us and – uh, and I think it is like it's 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 a slow burn, but it's happening for me more and more. So I hope they do figure it out, and I, and I'll look forward to an expanded playoff. I mean, what would the fall like? In a best case scenario, Jeff Schott talked about this earlier today. I know we're up against it, but he talked about there's a difference between optimal and possible. We're not getting to an optimal level this season, right? So what's possible, and let's do the best we can with what's there. I know that like it's not going to be no holds barred, but. They're going to play the Masters in November. They're going to be playing, hopefully, baseball, maybe the postseason in October, November. Who knows where we'll be inside of a football season, college and pro, but it's probably going on. I don't think the NBA season lasts that late. But, I mean, for all the things that we haven't had sports-wise these last three, four months, and I know that it's minor in the scope of, of, of everything else that's going on, but... It could be a remarkable fall for sports in terms of like what is available and what is happening happening concurrently that is normally spaced out over the, over the course of a, of a of a spring and summer. It's two tell new one is one two nine ESPN Radio. Quick break. We'll come back. It's Tuesday. The new show's on the trail in about eight minutes. We'll tell you about it next. At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping customers and communities connected online. In fact, we executed our own business continuity plan, quickly mobilizing to keep our communities online with the service and experience they need. You need to stay connected, too, and we can help. From home internet to remote workforce deployments, contact Blackfoot to learn how we can help you stay connected today and in the future. Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more. Two Tell Nuanas, one of tonight ESPN Radio. If you missed anything in the show today, including our interview with uh, former Cal Poly Portland State head coach Tim Walsh, check it out on the podcast. The Two Tell Nuanas podcast available wherever you get your podcast. It's available all the time, and it is there. Thanks to Blackfoot. Guess who's here with us for the last minute of our show today? Tommy Evans, our esteemed producer, engineer, and also, most importantly, in four minutes. The host of the new show. You guys really stick to the clock when I'm not in the control room. Well, you know, we're trying to uh, we're trying to make it happen here, Tommy. Yeah, six o'clock on the trail. So tell new us, music, what, uh, give us give us the one highlight today. What's going to happen? One hundred three three, the trail, the new show, right Straight now. Straight out of uh, North Carolina. There's a self-described quote unquote totally '80s tribute band. These guys are like 17 and 18, and they call themselves Kids in America. Of course, they cover Kim Wilde, but uh, they've got some cool. Um, originals that sound like they're from the 80s that I'll showcase tonight. Tommy, we only talk to you because it's actually true. It's the best show, uh, best music show on the radio. If you want to learn a little something, turn it over to 103.3 right now. Being back to 102.9 tomorrow, we'll see you at 4 ESPN Radio. It's finally starting to feel like winter around here, and if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes. And they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear 
at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org, or of course you can check out the MSU Bookstore live and in person there on the Montana State campus. They also have some graduation regalia back in order there at the MSU Bookstore. They have an awesome American Indian Council selection as well. Visit on campus anytime you need blue and gold, or visit online anytime, anywhere, msubookstore.org. MSU Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day located there on the Montana State campus.